verses 17 through 21. So just uh, before this, there was um, Jesus turning uh, turning water into wine at the wedding. And, we, and just after that, he goes into the temple and, and flips the tables and carries a whip out with him. Um, this is just how his ministry starts. And we're, we're just talking about this conversation with Nicodemus. Where Jesus is saying, instead of following the law, your salvation, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. And um, almost a month ago now, um, John took a, Gordon took us through John 3.16, the most famous scripture um, in the Bible, and, and, and rightly so. But we're continuing on, we're moving on in John 3.16, but I, I do want you to have that in mind. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I want you to keep in that in mind, because we're going right after that. So verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Um, I think this is, maybe because it's just after John 3.16, but I think it's one one of the more overlooked verses um, in the Bible. So what what we see from that is Christ came as a Savior, says you on the 
angels from hell who are that close. Be careful. So when Isaiah says to that, Rosie, I'm on the inches of being destroyed, he, he admits what? He says, I am a man of unclean lips. We serve a holy God who is pure and righteous, and to come in contact with him with sin sentence. It is a death sentence. Isaiah realized that throughout the Old Testament it was realized. So the reason why the reason why I bring that up is because in this verse, John 3, 17, we said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, so in essence, God is coming. God is coming. And if you're an Israelite, the expectation is a lot of destruction. Perhaps my own. Perhaps my own. Destruction is coming. But yet, in 17, John the Apostle writes this. He did not come to condemn the world. He's not coming to judge, but he's coming to save. To save. and I were uh, recently gifted a TV. Um, we're not big on watching TV, but um, recently we've kind of enjoyed it. And if, if you don't know, Louise and I have very different tastes, especially when it comes to television. So I'm a guy, um, when I watch TV, I just want something to make me laugh. I want something, you know, maybe some action, something light. Uh, just, you know, just relax. Just get away from the world. Something to make me happy. When she watches TV, she wants something suspenseful. She wants something to grip her heart. Um, she wants something, uh, my mind terrifying. And the more true it is, the better. So, so we have different things and we kind of go back and forth. We've been, we've been watching a lot of uh, nature shows recently. Um, but there is this documentary that I thought about watching with Louise. Uh, it's called Final 24 Hours. Um, in essence, they take the final 24 hours of famous people's lives and they, they count down what happened in the last 24 hours. Um, I'll, put it, I'll put it on Netflix. Right. Um, there was one, there was one that uh, I was, I wanted to preview it because I wanted to see if I could watch it with the ladies. Because I was like, oh, this is, this is kind of, I, I can't get in this, this is too real. Um, I wanted to preview it. Um, and they do the final 24 hours on death row inmates. Um, people throughout the country, um, they didn't interview the people, but they went through the process. They went through the process of what is the final 24 hours of a death row inmate look like? In this particular case in Texas. And um, they interviewed different people. They interviewed the judge. The judge who signs the death warrant.
change rooms. They change your room. There's a special 24 hour room. Okay, so you just go from your prison cell, you're, you're um, searched, you're escorted to this other room. And from that moment, you know 24 hours of life in there.
something as small as Merry Christmas, but it's something eternal. It's a sort of humble Louise and I were discussing some of the close friends of ours. And we had the we had the realization that we did not know God. And I think for the first time it actually hurt me. For the first time, I mean they're good friends, they're really fun. It's a painful reminder. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. So remember that word con and condemned, right? Uh, the Canadian attack from criminal, criminal. Um, the same word. Condemned judgment. The same word here. Condemned judgment. Word. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So this is the judgment. This is what stands. This is what how you and everyone will stand condemned or freed. And we can tie ourselves to the end of that verse by looking at their works for evil. Their works, their works, their works. All about just one line. People loved the darkness rather than the light. The question is not what are your works show? The question is, do you love life? So, the, the humanitarian like, who, who spends their career, their livelihood, working for nonprofits, helping people, maybe medically, for their entire lives, really, like 60 hours a week. For 60 hours a week, they're putting away, they're helping people, they're doing good things. Is that person condemned? You have to ask, well, the works certainly line up. It definitely seems like they spend more time helping others than not helping others. That's not the question. The question is, are they in love with the light? Did Christ's soul impact their heart that they decided to go out in his name and his glory? It's not. Question of love. So the judgment is not one of works, but of love. Now, love leads to works, of course. But the judgment is not one of works, but of love. What do you love? Who do you love? Um, does anyone know who this, this guy is? It is the same. He is the same, yes. So, not St. Augustine. This is St. Nicholas of Myra. St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas of Myra. He lived from 270 AD to 243 AD. Um, he was a famous bishop. Um, he was, sorry, which kind of edified the scriptures for us. Um, and he was a big, uh, staunch uh, proponent for the Trinity, for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Very, very 
also has um, some legends or miracles uh, of charity, um, freeing, freeing some men who are on death row. Um, there's also uh, another legend where he gave, um, he gave a lot of his fortunes away to the poor. Um, but
songs and stories, whatever. But regardless, from a very young age, and you know how presents hold the hearts of children. You know that. Despite that, what you're teaching them is not really gifts at all. You're teaching them worse. Do the right thing, be a good steward, and you'll get what you want. Can we say that about receiving Christ? Can we receive Christ because we're the good people? That's not grace. And it comes to me in this passage in Luke, uh, Luke 6, when Christ is talking about love your enemies. In the second half of that passage, verses 32 through 34, this is what he says. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Santa teaches the love of sinners. If you're good to those who are good to you, Christ says that's the world. We're just out of the world. None raising them up. And the real problem is, is it's such a shallow love. It's such a shallow love. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Be good to those who are good to you. If you're going to scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Christ is saying, that's shallow. That's not my love. That's not the love that we celebrate this season. It's unlimited love. is growing up like this it is so hard to see grace because in just about every relationship we experience we experience the sinner's love from parents to children with our spouses to significant others with our friends It's not said, but it's felt that if you do the right 
Is it in your dorms? Are you graced? Are you filled with grace and mercy to those around you? Regardless of how they treat you. That's not the concern. The concern is being Christ's love to those around us. Thank you. 
is not a very mature Christian at this point in time. I said, what did you want? What did you want? I said, I want you to call me. So, um, to give you the context, the plagues were happening 
Smith. Smith says to Brown, um, are you uh, a, little, a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Um, Brown says, well, you know, God told us what to do through a servant Moses. Um, you don't have to be nervous. I mean, did you prepare the lamb as you were supposed to? Um, did you dog it on the doorpost? Um, you don't know, right? I mean, you have Smith responds, uh, of course I've done that. Not stupid. But it was it's still kind of scary. When you think all the things that have been going on with the locusts and, and, and the river turning the blood, it's pretty awful. And, and now uh, the threat, the angel of death is coming, and, and now the, the firstborn is going to be killed? The answer is neither. Because death doesn't pass over them on the grounds of how intense their faith is exercised. Death passes over them on the grounds of the blood of the Lamb. So right desire to give grace to others, desire to be merciful to others. 